You're listening to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. Welcome to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly, founder of Agape Moms, and I am just so happy that you could join me for this conversation today. Here on the podcast, we emphasize discovering you on the journey through. And what that means to me is I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose. And I believe that she can do it right through the things that God is carrying her through in her season as a single mom. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to the author of Grace-Based Parenting. His name is Dr. Tim Kimmel, and we're going to be talking a little bit about freedom in our parenting. And this is something that you can apply certainly as your kids grow, if you've got young kids. But for those of us who are dealing with junior high aged or teenager aged kids, this is a very critical topic. I know I hate the feeling that I am constantly policing my kids and saying, do this and don't do this. And knowing where and how to sprinkle in some freedom for them is something that makes me feel like I'm not <laughs> just the, the no mom, but it's also something that helps them to start to learn how to exercise their own personalities, their own giftings, and start to treat freedom with responsibility. Tim and I are going to talk some about the foundation for bringing freedom into your parenting, and that's this tie between grace and truth. And so that's something we'll kind of lay this foundation with, and then we'll go into some of the practical tips and what kinds of freedoms that our kids really do need. Interwoven through this conversation is Tim's emphasis on grace in our parenting and what it does both for our relationship with our own kids, but then also what it does for our relationship and our kids' relationships with God. For some of us as parents, it's really easy to fall back on rules and structures and routines because it gives us this sense of control in an otherwise chaotic situation and season of life. But if we're not careful, it can hurt our relationships with our kids, but also our adult relationships and keep us caught in these long-term cycles of loneliness. And over at agapemoms.com forward slash quiz, I've created a quiz called What's Your Loneliness Type? And if you'll take that quiz, it takes just a couple of minutes. You'll have the ability to understand what patterns, like control, for example, might be contributing to your specific experience with loneliness. But then you'll also get some solutions about what you can do about it. Again, that quiz is over at agapemoms.com forward slash quiz. I'd like to start off by giving you some background about Dr. Tim Kimmel. Tim is the founder and executive director of Grace-Based Families, whose goal is to see families transformed by God's grace into instruments of reformation and restoration. Tim is not only a well-known speaker, but has authored many books, including Grace-Based Parenting, and he and his wife, Darcy, count their role as parents and grandparents as one of their greatest joys. God has blessed them with for now adult children, their spouses, and a growing flock of grandkids. We have had Tim's daughter, Karis, here on the show before giving us some foundation on grace-based parenting. I read grace-based parenting about 10 years ago, and it absolutely transformed not only my parenting, but my own relationship with God. I've had the privilege of working alongside Tim, Darcy, and their team at Grace-Based Families for about the last seven years, and it has just been the greatest pleasure. I know you will absolutely enjoy Tim and this conversation. Here is my conversation with Dr. Tim Kimmel. Tim, I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Well, girl, I'm telling you, when I saw this on the docket, I said, this is going to this is going to be one hallmark day. I'll tell you, folks, if you're just tuning in, I've known this lady for a long time, mm -hmm. and she's just an amazing woman. And she's an incredible thinker. She's an incredible writer. She's, but, but, she, but as a human being, I, I just love the way God has journeyed with her through all the things that life brought her way. Mm -hmm. And uh, she still has a smile on her face. Thank you. Thank you. Thank and, you for uh, saying that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and a lot of what I have learned in my life about grace, how we live it out in our lives have, has come through the things that you've written, you mm -hmm. and Darcy and your example and your family. And I'm just excited to share that with the ladies who are listening today. 
And one of the things I'm really thrilled about actually, though, is that this message, this grace-based parenting message has shifted in my life through my various seasons. And that's just given me so much hope as my life has shifted. And it's taught me how does grace look in a situation that's messy? How does it look in you know, the different ages and stages of my kids? How does it look in my other types of relationships? And now in this season that I'm in, it's taken on a new form in the fact that I'm in the seat where many of the listeners are, where we've got to balance what it is to show grace, but also to have discipline. And sometimes it seems to us that those two things might be opposing, (laughs) but there is a balance there. I wouldn't say grace and discipline are synonyms, but they're clearly coming from the the exact same thing. Uh, discipline is designed to bring ultimately bring the better person out of mm-hmm. out of a person. Punishment isn't, mm-hmm. but discipline is. Mm, and grace, I think, uh, uh, really, uh, when when it is being actively shown towards somebody, it appeals to their better person in the long run. And that's why I think we also respond to it because. You know, that that ultimate moment of grace when you realize, when you finally come to the realization, uh, I'm a mess and I can't get to God on my own. Yeah. I don't have a I don't have a prayer on my own of measuring up to what it would take to qualify to be in God's presence when I die. And he mm-hmm. says, Well, I got good news for you. I took care of that problem for you. Yeah. That's where my son came in. And he knew we we knew this, and so he he said, "How about I, how about I come down there and I, I pay the price for Tim and Michelle and everybody else, and you 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 put their mess on my shoulders, and 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 I, and I'll pay that out, and and so all you got to do is just trust me." And and he says, "And and watch what happens." And that's the kind of grace though that we just don't deserve. It's God giving us something we all desperately need but don't deserve. And then when we turn around and say, "What would it look like if we let him do that through us to the people?" Mm. Up close ones. Yeah. Well, it would look amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing sometimes we get confused is that we think that grace means like everything's okay. Like, and sometimes, you know, as we look for the balance in our parenting is like, okay, I've got kind of feel like I'm mom and dad. I kind of feel like I'm doing all of the roles all in one person, the work of two in one that we sometimes think that grace then means, but what about all these other things? Like I'm excusing a bunch of stuff. So help us get a wrap, wrap our minds around that part of it. Because I think that for me was a linchpin of understanding how grace is lived out is understanding the correspondence between grace, but then also truth. Right. Right. You know, they, they, first of all, God doesn't separate those two. He, he always presents them as a team, or not always, but he clearly presents them as a team. John 1, 14, you know, it says the, the word, and then it's capitalized in your Bible because it's another name for Jesus. Jesus became flesh, and he lived among us. We beheld his glory, glory as the one and only who came from the Father, full, full of grace and truth. Now, there's two ways you can be full of grace and truth. You can have 50% of one and 50% of the other. Hmm. But that's not what he's talking about there. It was 100% truth, 100% grace. But I think, Michelle, that one of the problems we have in a Christian life, well, heck, we have it just regardless of what we believe, is the truth one is the easier one to quantify. And it's the easier one to turn to hmm. um, as far as right and wrong or what, at least what we expect from somebody. But that grace thing, it eludes us Yeah, and what, what that looks like. And so what I love about grace is I think it brings equilibrium. You use the word balance, and although I use the word balance a lot, I, yeah. I've, I've started lately more preferring the word equilibrium. Mm-hmm. Because balance is like two offsetting things, you know? Um, like almost like, opposites. Gonna, equilibrium is like when when you when you fly an airplane, there's, there's three or four things there that you better keep equalized, you, you know, the lift and the thrust and, the, and, and all that stuff in the flight plan. And so I think grace comes in there and helps us because just going by truth alone could make us um, legalistic. Yeah. It could make us tyrannical, could make us condescending, condemning people. And our kids don't need it. They need moms and dads or they need a parent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know you talk to a lot of single parents, but th- there's a way to keep equilibrium in there. Because, because the two extremes, I think, are legalism 
or license, right? And I think that's where grace comes to our rescue. It really does. But since you talk so much to, well, you mentioned, you know, you feel like you need to be a mom and a dad to the kids if dad's not in the, the thing. I would let that, if I was a single mom, I'd let God be their dad. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's, you know, I'll be a father to the fatherless. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be the mom the best I can and watch God fill in the blanks for me. Mm, um, I know it might be kind of crazy. It might be uh, getting a little worried about what I just said, but just work with me a little bit. I, and I think I think it's real easy. A trap that's really easy to fall into as a single parent is parenting out of guilt. And uh, unfortunately, that sets us up to fall into a lot of the traps we don't want to fall into, yeah. either overreacting or underreacting or whatever. But that's, once again, where grace comes to the rescue, because grace-based discipline is about doing what's been the ultimate best good of our kids. And let me give you a word. Let me give you a word. We might want to incorporate this in our conversation that I've been thinking about. Uh, uh, They rhyme. And and they have a lot in common uh, when it comes grace and space. I want to be able to give the people I love the space they need to become the person, the better person they long to be deep down inside and they're capable of being. But that might mean that might mean that I have to take a hard look at myself in the mirror and recognize maybe I'm I'm too autocratic as Hmm. a parent or I'm too uh, I'm too lenient as a parent. Well, and I find that my biggest, some of my biggest struggles come from the places where I haven't received grace first, where Mm -hmm. I have a wrong understanding of how to apply it because I haven't really spent time experiencing it. Mm -hmm. And when I realize, oh my goodness, through all my mistakes and all these things, God's still been there. He's been faithful. I have Mm -hmm. had consequences. I have Mm -hmm. had fallout from choices that I've made, but he hasn't left me that that has shifted the way that I approach my own parenting. And I think to give myself a little bit of that grace to say, all right, I'm going to probably mess this up a little bit here, but that there are are opportunities to keep at it. What you just said to me is profound. Folks, if you're listening, let me me say it another way. Your kids do not need a perfect mom or a perfect dad. What they need is a grace-filled, imperfect parent. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how far that you can get with that. Where you recognize, I'm going to get this wrong sometimes. We're broken people dealing with broken people. We all walk with limps, but you can figure out how to do life even with a limp. Yeah. And do it effectively. Mm. And you can still, you can get way ahead. And here's a, here, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Oh man, I'm glad God included this one. It says, Love covers a multitude of mistakes because we all get it wrong. When my wife and I started having kids, we knew we would get it wrong. We even put some things in place to compensate. And so the kids had an outlet to talk with us in case we got it wrong. Mm-hmm. We assumed we would, but we, we, that didn't threaten us. We were two sinners that gave birth to a bunch of sinners. Yeah. But God comes along and says, well, we can work with this. We can mm. make this work. Everybody, this will turn out great. Watch what happens. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think I think that takes a lot of weight off our shoulders, too, because guilt guilt is a very toxic emotion mm. that causes us to either overreact or underreact in ways that the, the people we're dealing with lose. Yeah. We don't need. Yeah. And as you're pointing to this tendency to either overreact or underreact, and you've mentioned already, you know, we can be too legalistic or we can be too licentious, you know, that there, there is the tendency for us to tend to pull one way or another. And some of that's inherent. And then some of that is this knee-jerk reaction to our situation that I know for myself, it's really easy to have a lot of rules and a lot of structure, but it's because I'm trying to gain control over something that feels like for a little while, it was just kind of like in a tailspin mode. Mm -hmm. And learning how to apply grace in that situation feels like I'm letting go of the reins, like something bad's going to happen if it's not on my watch. And however, though, you had said something in the past about rules without relationship leads to rebellion. rebellion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the opposite side but of that, though. Yeah. But relationship without rules leads to resentment. Yes. In other so, words, they will resent us if we don't have boundaries, but they're going to rebel against us if we have too much or they're too rigid or, you know, um, it would help so much if we as parents 
step back and okay, they're they're raising these little ones. They have a little infants or a, a toddler or the kids are in elementary school. They're getting on the launch pad. They're teenagers. It helps so much if we keep the finished product in mind all the time. You know, instead of don't base it on where they are right now because they're just kids and they're in development. And so they're, they're, they're going to get it wrong. And this, don't make your kids a, a report card on what kind of a parent you are, mm. because that will force you to become a high controlling parent to try and make them make you look good. I appreciate you saying that too, especially as keep the bigger picture in mind, because yeah. when we look at each of these little individual, like sinful proclivities, it's almost tempting to move into behavior modification where it's like, okay, oh, yeah. just get them to stop doing this, but it's not touching their heart. And so no. there's a lot of things we could do to eradicate behaviors without really reaching the heart of our kids and reaching the heart of our kids. I have really started to embrace means letting God work on them on his timetable. And so right. if this behavior continues, 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 it's not an indication that I'm doing anything wrong. Actually, I might need to do the exact same thing I'm doing over and over and over until that child has the move in their heart of, you know what, what am I doing this for? Or I don't right. have to do it this way anymore. Or maybe they have a way massive experience or consequence a little bit down the road that changes right. them. But I, I can't be so wired up in eradicating this behavior out of this kid because yeah. what I really care about is that their heart would experience what it means to answer to the call of the Lord rather right. than the call of right. their mom. <laughs> right, right. But you know, see, one thing about a, an atmosphere of grace and our close relationships, because I, if someone pinned me down and said, okay, what is the job of a parent? I would not start listing off food, clothing, shelter, health, education, and welfare. I would not do that. Only because that goes without saying. Hmm. If you have anything with a pulse in your home, the government expects you to do those things, mm -hmm. even, even if it's a pet. Okay, yeah. so I, I like to say, I think the primary job of a, of a believing parent is to connect to the heart of their child in such a way that it makes it easier for that child to ultimately connect to the heart of God. Hmm. Let me say that again. Connect yeah. to the heart of the child in such a way that it makes it a lot easier for that child to ultimately connect to the heart of God. Because that's where we want them to be. Because we're only going to be in their life for, you know, 18 years, 19, 20 years. And then, you know, we have to launch them. But God can be there all the time. And I think an atmosphere of grace. Let me back up here because I really want to say the full picture. I think we should be parents that are that we're guided by God's truth all the while tempered by his grace. In other words, these are two simultaneous things that we're doing here. Mm -hmm. Because we can, you can do parenting with truth without grace. And it, you might get the kids to mind as long as you're bigger than they are and have all the money, but there's, yeah. you don't know to say when that. Yeah. And then I don't believe you can have grace without truth because I think at that point it's no longer grace. I think it's just permission, it's mm -hmm. license, it's um, chaos. So that that's not grace. But when we have them both together, and, and so I like to talk about a, an atmosphere of grace. See, grace creates a comfortable atmosphere hmm. to work through all the messes that life brings our way. That's really it, it, it just It's the thermostat mm -hmm. of relationships. It puts it on a, a more of a comfort zone. And then, then the truth and whatever has to be done can be done. But um, most people, I don't think, get grace. Most Christians, I, I don't think they, they get what the, the grace after you're saved looks like. That's too bad. Yeah. 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 I think we often will say, you know, it's nice, you know, or that it's yeah, okay. uh, passive even. Exactly right. Yeah. In fact, you hit it right there. Grace and nice are not synonyms. Mm -hmm. Nice is a human attitude. And by the way, I can be nice for wrong reasons. Right. <laughs> I can be nice to manipulate. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. So grace, grace and nice are not synonyms. Grace can be nice at times, but mm -hmm. sometimes grace requires somebody to get in our face. That's tough love, right? Yeah. And because I like to define love, love is a commitment of my will to your needs and best interests, regardless of the cost. And that might mean for my son or my daughter or my child, whatever, that I have to stand on their air hose and encourage them with all the tools that I have to change their behavior, redirect their attitude, and pick a better plan for how they're going to live this out in the future. That's mm -hmm. called discipline. Yeah. And yeah. it's a loving thing to do. 
Right. And grace doesn't leave us like grace saves us, but it doesn't leave us the way we are saved. You know, it's continuing to work on us and change us and God disciplines those that he loves. And so that's always been helpful for me to understand, you know, where am I in this, in this dance, I guess, of making sure that I'm bringing in enough of both because Mm -hmm. where Jesus came a hundred percent, a hundred percent of both of them, I, I don't have that, you know, so that's where we need him to fill in the places where we are inadequate. Mm -hmm. The more we stay in heart connection with him. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. grace helps me to understand very often that sometimes it's the way that truth is applied. So when we talk about speaking the truth in love, this is exactly what we're talking about, that you can have loving, truthful, full of consequences type parenting that is delivered in such a way that connects to the heart of what's going on instead of reacting to the emotion of the situation. But it's a, it's a fine art, I will say, you know, in learning how to do that well. But Michelle, you just hit on something that I think we can give them one of the great secrets. Take this one to heart. You're going to be light years ahead than most parents are. And that is the way I, I think to balance grace and truth and, and, and be able to, to do the hard things that have to be done when you have to discipline a kid and still do it in a gracious way is don't take their crimes personally. Don't take their crimes personally, even if they were personally done against you. Mm-hmm. They lied to you on mm-hmm. purpose to try and snooker you. Mm-hmm. Or they said something very awful and disrespectful back to you. Just don't take it personally. Now, people say, how can you say that, Kimmel? Don't take it personally. They meant it. Per- I know, but I have emotions. I know. I know we all have emotions, but don't take it personally. When it comes to understanding that your kid's sin struggle has more to do with them and their relationship to God than it has to do with you, right. then it makes it That's easier to actually point. have compassion for them to say, I don't want you to go down this wrong road. Right. I don't want you to start getting comfortable with this sin because I know what it will mean for you and your relationship with God in the future. Again, I can't be in control of that. But as far as my influence is concerned, I want you to know God as a good parent gives us lessons, but mm-hmm. then gives us that safe space to learn them. And so as as you mentioned, you touched on that atmosphere of grace. I want to dive into that a little bit yeah, because you talk about needing freedom mm-hmm. in an atmosphere of grace. Talk about the role of freedoms as it relates to the environment of our households. The way God made us, we respond well to the right kind of freedom. Here's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about freedom. It's, now, this uh, the only problem with this definition is kind of long, but work with me. And maybe yep. you can, afterwards, you can say, Tim, I'll rewrite that for you. And they'll make it, <laughs> you know, here's what I'm referring to. The option to enjoy and maximize the person God designed you to be within an atmosphere that also provides a safe place to responsibly work through the areas of your life where you clearly fall short of that design. Mm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So God designed us with a longing for certain freedoms, but obviously there's areas of our life that we fall short in there. And in the book, Grace-Based Parenting, we unpack four freedoms that to me, these are the game changers. That when a mom or dad grasp these, when a husband or wife grasp these, even friendships, and you see these Things change everything. And this is what God's grace looks like with sweat all over it. Play that in real time. So, so go into those freedoms. Tell us though, what those are. Let me list them off and then you can pick the ones you want me to yeah. kind of unpack. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's when you give the people, these children you love, the freedom to be different, vulnerable, candid, and imperfect. Those four freedoms, when, when they have the freedom to be weird, bizarre, strange, goofy, or quirky, and it's not a crime, when they can operate around you without having to wear a mask and hide behind who they really are, when they can verbalize what's on their heart without fear of their head handing up in a platter on, uh, you know, or in a jar on your thing, and when they have the freedom to make mistakes and know that that's not going to cost a relationship. Yeah. Those those things automatically resonate with a better side of ourselves, 
Well, let's briefly just touch on each one. As far as that first, that freedom to be different, you know, as you said, to be a little weird, a little quirky, you know, and to explore some of those uniquenesses that God put inside of them. As we're having this conversation, though, about, you know, the difference between legalism and licentiousness and those sorts of things, where do we draw the boundary with different versus something that would be, as you mentioned, kind of just the freedom to express however you feel you want to express? Okay. First of all, I think a lot of our kids' differences, the mistake we make is we moralize them and we make them biblical issues when they're just, they're not. They're just different. You might have one kid that's uh, very quiet, another kid that's very boisterous. You might have one that's very a neat freak and, and doesn't want their, their food touching on their plate and they can't stand it. And other kids that don't care. And God wired us all different ways, but I think we tend to think that the whatever way we were personally wired is the best one. It's the right and one. And so when we, when we get these kids <laughs> yeah. that are wired differently, it's easy to look on their differences as not so much as different as much as more as, as wrong. Now, by the way, make sure everybody listening, I'm not talking about the kids doing something that the Bible clearly says is wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about that. Yeah. I'm just talking about them being weird or bizarre or strange or goofy or quirky. And part of the reason we react to that is many times those things embarrass us mm. or they annoy us, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily doing anything wrong. But when we, when we moralize them and make them a right or wrong thing or worse, we make them a biblical issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm giving away my age to probably think, God, this guy's a fossil. He's so old. <laughs> but I, I, I was a teenager in the 1960s. Well, we all had long hair and the girls stringy hair. It was crazy. Well, but so many things, because it was so different, so different, especially like the hair and, and uh, the, the, the goofy clothes, that the older generation tried to make a biblical issue out of these things, like God is displeased. You know, I've read the whole Bible mm-hmm. many times through. I've read it through about 40 times now. And I know what God has to say about hair in the Bible. Basically, he doesn't care. <laughs> He doesn't care. It's your hair. Yeah. You know, express yourself. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't care. Now, as a parent, do I have some authority to weigh in on my kid's hair? I do. I'm the parent. But but I but you want to come at it from a practical point of view, not a moral point of view or biblical. So if, if I'm using hair because it's just an easy one to use, we could pick mm-hmm. something else. But you know, I don't think God would be very pleased with your hair. Well. That just drives a wedge between that kid's heart and, and, and that parent and that kid's heart and God. Mm-hmm. We've just made a biblical issue out of a non-biblical issue. Mm-hmm. And in the case of dress, you know, for example, as you mentioned, there may be things that when we apply truth to it, we can say, you know, that's that's not modest, but that's truly not respecting your own body. But I those are manners of teaching. That's a manner yeah. of teaching them respect for themselves or respect for other people, no, no. as you said, where those boundaries lie rather than right. just saying, you know, in the case of hair, for example, like that kid could have an amazing heart and worship Jesus and that kind of thing. Yeah. But like their hair has nothing to do with what their heart for God is. Samuel went to pick out a king, you know, over Jesse's house and had all these incredible boys and, and guy gives in, nope, nope, nope. And then they come to the runt of the litter, David. And he said, there's him. And, and he's shocked. And he said, don't think like People do. Mm-hmm. Man looks on the outside. I look on a heart. And that boy had a fine heart. Sometimes you look at a teenager and you think, you think the way they're dressed, there's something wrong with this kid. This kid's mm-hmm. in a free fall. And I'd say, yep, you can see that. Now, does it make any sense to attack the outside? Mm-hmm. The outside is simply a, a reflecting a problem that they get the heart right and the outside will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. If the heart's right, don't worry about the outside. I'd like to take a short break from our conversation to mention our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is Christian counseling that is available on the go, and it works through an app where you are able to schedule video sessions or just chat with your counselor throughout the course of the week. And I found that having the combination of Christian teaching and counseling together was so encouraging and so healing for me. If you have been considering Christian counseling and you would like to give Faithful Counseling a try, you can get 10% off of your first month by going to getfaithful.com forward slash single mom. 
You also mentioned vulnerability. And this is a touchy subject because I'll say when you've been um, hurt in a very significant relationship, marriage, something like that, vulnerability, even for us, is hard to model sometimes. It's hard for us to know how to do that well in our own adult relationships. And we may not really get that right as it relates to teaching our kids how to be vulnerable. So what are some skills in that freedom to be vulnerable? What are some things that we need to allow? What are some things that we want to cultivate in our kids to allow that sense of vulnerability to permeate that atmosphere to a point where it might actually even teach us how to do that better? Well, I just think we need to show respect for the five senses that God gave them. And when they're, they're reflecting themselves, if it's, if it's uh, hurt and pain and tears or, or even laughter that's covering deep hurt, that we take it seriously. Uh, uh, okay, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Let's say your fourth grade kid is moping at the table and around the house. And, you know, let's say, uh, let's pick a dad because I can relate better to men. Uh, dad sitting there and what's wrong with you? Yeah, what, let's get, oh, well, I, there's this girl I really like at school and I really thought she liked me. And then I said something to her and she pushed me down and I fell backwards and, and all the kids laughed at me. And then she, she laughed at me and then she went on and I, and I just really feel bad. About it. Well, let's, let me show you the worst reaction. That's what this is about. This is some silly little puppy love, insignificant thing that doesn't really count yet. You're only in fourth grade. You've been holding us hostage with this mopey attitude. And it's just something like this. You better cowboy up right now, son, and change this attitude because we don't need this stuff. You know, life's too short. Mm -hmm. You know, cowboy up here. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I made a ridiculous example to make a point. If I was, I guarantee that kid's saying, note to self, don't ever show your real heart around this person ever again. Mm-hmm. It's not safe. Mm-hmm. See, I, one of my favorite definitions of a church, unfortunately, churches fall short of this definition too often. It should be a safe place to work through all the dangerous issues in your life. Mm-hmm. Well, if any place should be that, family should be. Mm-hmm. And if any person should be that, a parent should be. Mm-hmm. It's a safe place to work through the dangerous issues of your, you know, you have kids that are self-conscious because they feel like they're overweight in a world full of thin people, or they, they feel stupid because they, they feel like they're surrounded with clever and smart people. Mm-hmm. And we could dismiss that. Oh, you're really smart or you're really, you know, we, but that's what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. I think vulnerability uh, is a thin line between, it being mishandled and ending up in shame. And shame is the ultimate toxic emotion. Yeah. I would assume the average person, adult person, really struggles with the ability to be vulnerable because it just was never safe for them. Mm-hmm. They lived in homes where it cost them too much. And so we need to allow that. And, and, and God... God gives us the freedom to be vulnerable. I mean, what is prayer? We come to him and we just butt naked and we just said, Lord, I am just so mess and I can't believe this happened to me and my heart is killing me and I, whatever. And he doesn't sit there saying, will you cut it out? Do you, have you ever calculated how many blessings I've given you? Mm-hmm. Do you have any clue how many times I've saved your bacon? Will you just stop? You, you know, that's not God. Yeah. And I think what I'm hearing you say in this is it is validating that they have a feeling. And I think sometimes there's a fear there, but if I validate it, what if it's, what if they're actually questioning things that are, that are sinful? You know, what if, what if they want to get into something that I'm scared of them getting into as they're being vulnerable with me? And I think what that can lead us down into is then dismissing. And as you use the word safe, and it was like, so you make it very unsafe when you say, well, don't think that way or Bible thump the kid, or you right, know, you could right. say, no, that's not really real. And whatever it might be. And I think what you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that in validating this experience, this child is having, you're creating that communication and connection. You're creating Mm -hmm. a safe space where they can start to discuss and explore these ideas. And then actually it it leads way for them to have growth and to get support and to get help for whatever it is, the thing that they're wrestling with. But if we don't first cultivate that, then we are 
automatically shutting the door to our own influence and then potentially opening it up to influence maybe that we would not prefer that they would have. If we are feeling uncomfortable about validation is because we equate it with agreement that if I, if I accept what you're saying, that means that I am agreeing with it. And I don't think that that's necessarily inherent to what you're talking about with vulnerability, that giving somebody the free, the free space is not right. Because we think, we, we think that uh, many times we're being misunderstood and all, but, but, you know, when, when people are fighting fair, they want to at least let the other person say, make their point, whether they, they feel their point is completely accurate or not, at least get it out there. But giving people the freedom to be different and vulnerable is so key, especially if they're kids, but it, it helps with anybody. But then uh, this freedom to be candid yeah, I was wow, going to that say, was, that's the one, yeah. you know, once you've given people the freedom to kind of express themselves, now it may come back your way. <laughs> right, right. So talk about yeah. that. Yeah, well, well and, and the reason I use candor, uh, the word candor rather than just the freedom to be honest, mm. is because bare naked honesty can be cruel. Mm. You know, if, if someone says exactly what they think, boy, that can be yeah awful. And that's once again where that word poise comes in, a keen sense of the appropriate. Candor is honesty with the person on the receiving end's best interest in mind when you deliver it. That's the mm. difference in candor. Mm. Is that you're desiring whatever I'm going to, because sometimes you have to say some very hard things for somebody, but you say it in such a way that you're desiring to, to build them up rather than tear them down. Mm-hmm. And, and, we, and when we create an atmosphere where candor is allowed between parent and children, it, it's amazing what, first of all, you know, it's amazing what those kids will tell you, what you'll learn. Yeah. But also it gives this kid the, a sense, I can trust this adult in my life. Mm-hmm to deal with hard stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think some of the stuff that they, the candor stuff they want to share with us, they need to share with us is stuff that maybe that they've either been thinking or they did, or it involves somebody else that they know it's going to be hard for us to hear, mm-hmm. but they still need to have some safe place to talk with somebody. Well, I would much rather be a, um, uh, uh, them bounce that kind of stuff off the parent yeah. than anybody else. Yeah. And, and that's why we got to listen a lot and not just try and fix everything or cut right to the uh, solution. Mm-hmm. But my wife and I, when we, when we started having kids, we knew we would get it wrong some, on some of the things we did. So we wanted to give our kids, uh, we wanted to know that they can talk with us if they think we've mishandled something or, or whatever, because we already knew we had an outlet to talk to them when they mishandle stuff. Every parent does. Every parent does this all the time. It's kid talks wrong, does something wrong. We just say, hey, stop. Here's what you just did. That's unacceptable. Boom. We do it all the time. Is that a two-way street? Because unless you're a perfect mom or a perfect dad, you're going to get it wrong sometimes. And so what we did uh, early on, uh, we did this thing. We called it, what's your beef night? You know, because, you know, in our language, beef means uh, irritation or frustration. Mm-hmm. And and we would call these things, you know, like every three months or so, not, you know, all the time. But but where they could say anything that we had done or said that ticked them off or embarrassed them or humiliated them or hurt them or whatever. And that we didn't catch at the time. Because hopefully we were catching most of the stuff as it goes, mm-hmm. but but we didn't catch. And all we were allowed to do is ask for forgiveness. Mm. We weren't allowed to put it in context to mm. give the backstory or all that stuff. Because if we did that out and everything, they say, "Oh, this game is so fixed. There's no way you're going to admit it." Like you're just drawing it out so you can explain it away. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> see, I'm part of a generation, Michelle, where I, it was not uncommon for me to hear from my friends. This statement, I never once heard my parents admit they did anything wrong. They, they never admitted one time the things I brought to them that they did anything wrong. Well, we get it wrong sometimes. And so uh, now they couldn't say, oh, you made me go to school or you made me do my homework or you made me eat my vegetables. We're not talking about that. And they knew we're not talking about that kind of stuff. No, you got to eat your vegetables. You got to go to school. You got to do your homework. Right. It, it, we knew what the stuff was. And they knew what it was. And what we were trying to teach them is that you have an outlet here to come to me when your heart is heavy about something, even if it's something heavy with me, Mm. and you're going to find grace waiting for a safe place. Now, they have to do it respectfully. Yes. They have to do it respectfully. 
Now, we raise the odds that our children will speak respectfully to us when they're frustrated with us if we speak respectfully to them when we're frustrated with them. Mm-hmm. But if we're screaming and ripping their head off and browbeating them or throwing some profanity out there, don't be surprised you see that coming back. Yeah. But we can't do that. You know, I can summarize grace-based parenting in one sentence. And that is just simply treat your kids the way God treats you. Mm-hmm. God doesn't shame us. Mm-hmm. He doesn't scream at us. He doesn't swear at us. He doesn't compare us. He doesn't guilt us or, or any of that stuff. And yet he corrects us. The Bible says, them whom he loves, he disciplines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we can do that. But enough, I talk too much. It's no, that was so good, Tim. I was with you all the way. And you actually, over the course of me just getting to know you and Darcy, you gave three specific times when it's okay to raise your voice to your kids. Do you remember what they are? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Uh, well, yeah. Because um, yelling at a kid, by the way, is a form of high control. Mm. It's very effective, but it's high control. And I, here's how I define high control. It's when I, when I leverage the strength of my personality or my position against your weaknesses in order to get you to meet my selfish agenda. Mm. That's high control. Mm-hmm. And God did not make any one of us to respond well to that. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. But, but, you know, three, here's the three times you can yell at your kid. When, when, when they're far away and they can't hear you, you got to raise your voice. When you're cheering them on. Or when you're warning them of danger, you know, they're about to get hurt and they, and they don't realize it. Those are the three. Otherwise, you don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a toxic form of high control. Knowing that those are my only three, it's like, well, those are all very, um, they're positive instances or they're protective instances. They're not disciplinary instances. And so it's something that helps me to like yeah. wrap that temperature. If we're getting to that ratcheted up yeah, spot, right. like well, we're not across the street. <laughs> I can get there. Yeah, yeah. I, I can get there too. But I see in that freedom to be candid, what it gives our kids is the ability to trust us that we know when there are times that we make mistakes too, and mm-hmm. that we aren't going to just dismiss them or sweep it under the rug or give an explanation. And I've found with my own kids, it's really important for me, not only to give them the space to speak up, but also for me to come to them and say, this is something I messed up on. And some of the biggest moments of freedom, especially with my older kids have come in, you know, as they're struggling to figure out what happened to our family, why did this divorce happen? Where did everything go off the rails? For them, it establishes so much trust when I can say to them, listen, these were some things that I did wrong that I should have changed. And I'm sorry because it's affected you. And I think in those times where we can call it out, we're able to help them start to put words to things that maybe they never felt like there was a safe place to give Mm -hmm. voice to ever before. So as far as we move into now the last one, so we talk about the freedom to make mistakes and that being kind of all part of this. Talk a little bit to us about, you know, how we approach that, what it means, what it doesn't mean to give our kids the freedom to make mistakes. You know, um, and we always divided the mistakes into two types. There's misdemeanors and felonies. Mm -hmm. Now, but then there are mistakes they do. They clearly intend to do like lying Mm -hmm. or uh, cheating or something like that. And so we use the 10 commandments to guide us here. They come to our rescue and when it's like that, I, I really want to correct, make sure I'm really being consistent on dealing with those felonies and those things where they intended to do wrong. Because that's what we got to, you know, our job as parents, we, they're going to do it. Our job mm-hmm. is to catch them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then stand on their air hose mm-hmm. in some way that makes them think this doesn't make sense. This isn't a good way to live my life. But on the mistakes, I think a lot of those things that they're just, they didn't mean to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and we got to be careful that we're not going after that stuff in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But um, God talk, the Bible talks about godly sorrow leads to repentance. And when the kids are making those kind of felonious mistakes that break trust, deceive a covenant they made in friendship or whatever, we've got we've to come in with, with consequences that make them realize that that is not a good way to live your life because that, you know, you, you'll never be able to have a job, stay mm-hmm. married, mm-hmm. having trust you, having friends. We want yeah. to correct you on it. But 
The difference is you never punish them. You only mm-hmm. discipline them. Mm-hmm. I think you've interviewed my daughter, Kara. She wrote an mm-hmm. incredible book on grace-based discipline, and she draws this distinction. Grace-based parents never punish their kids. They only discipline them. Now, the consequences may look very similar, mm-hmm. but the difference is punishment is just exacting a price for a crime that they did. Mm-hmm. That's, what the, that's what the state does all the time. Discipline is giving them a correction that's designed to make them a better person. And it's always done with the attitude that it's done that they, they sense the relationship hasn't been severed. It's being driven by the love relationship. Mm. I care about you too much to stand idly by and watch you make a fool of yourself mm-hmm. or grow up to be an idiot. I'm going to intervene here because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I care for you. Yeah. So remember, it's a commitment of my will to your needs and best interests, regardless of the cost. And so this may be miserable. You may not be happy about me as a mom or a dad because I, I, I brought these consequences down on you, but it's because I care for you too much. Mm-hmm. to let you keep going in this pattern. And when, when you do that, that's love. It's Tim, great. what would you say to a woman who maybe has older kids? Maybe that 18 years has already elapsed and maybe mm-hmm. they're out of the house. Maybe they're wayward. You know, how does this intersection between grace and truth, what we're talking about relate to that or a child who's dealing with, you know, addictions or, you know, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Well, sometimes there's things that like addiction that kids are struggling with that they need our help. If somebody, if they're going to be open to help, we may be the only people that can help them. Mm-hmm. But there's, but once they, once they're out on their own and they're making their own decisions, you know, we can become a reference point to them, like a lighthouse that's standing up in the hill, trying to put out a steady beam of that they can rely on and reference mm-hmm. to. But they just got to, they're going to make their mistakes. And but here's the thing: don't circumvent the consequences. Mm-hmm. This is where we make the mistake, even when they're little. Mm-hmm. If, if they're out there and they're 19 or 20 and they're on their own and they're doing some really stupid things. Now, if they talk to you about it, you can explain, look, you, you know where I stand on this thing and here's why. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, and I, I'm, con- I'm concerned that the path you're on, you're not going to like where it leads. But I don't run your life. I don't have that authority in your life anymore. You do. Mm-hmm. And I, I long for you to choose well. And, and, but if they go out there and they make those mistakes then whatever the consequences are, let them feel them. Mm-hmm. Natural consequences, whatever. Be, but I see parents circumventing consequences all the time. But on the older kids, I think it's hard. You got to just stay back and then you pray a lot. Mm. Yes, pray and pray and pray a lot. It, it's tough. It, it, it is tough. But I, I, I think many times kids are, if kids are used to us rescuing them, they're going to want us to rescue them all the way through their adult life. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we've found that, Rescuing them from, from danger or a dilemma is one thing, but from their folly, the best thing is let them feel the consequences of that foolishness in such a way. They say, man, this is dumb. And then when they know that my love for them has never been based on how they behave, mm-hmm. how big of a fool they are. I love them because they're my son or my daughter, period. I love them. I'm not going to stop loving them. But my love for them is such that if... Hard consequences, even legal consequences, are what's needed to get their attention. Okay, I'll visit you. Yeah, oh, that's good. Yeah, I think that is very clear advice. I think no matter what stage our kids are in, but just to understand that love can be played out in a way that still allows for those consequences, but that that truly is allowing God the space to work in their lives. And mm-hmm. our kids would know all the while that we're still there, that we still yeah. love them. We still yeah. accept them, even if they may make choices yeah. that we wish they didn't. But because ultimately what we care about is their relationship with God and their eternity far more than we care about what they're doing to us, maybe right in that particular moment. Yeah. So at the end of every interview, Tim, I asked the guest the same question, which is if you had just one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? You're not alone. You're not single. The marital records might say that, but that's not how God sees it. You're not, there's not one second of your life that you're running solo. He totally is with you. He loves you. Think about this God that called 
these billions of stars into place. And the microscopic detail he put into every cell, he's a God that knows in a powerful, infinite way. God knows how much, uh, what, what you're up against, and he just doesn't want you to feel alone. That he's there for you. He loves you deeply. And um, just turn to him. Lean on him. And uh, he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. God, God is not, God doesn't have some scorecard up there trying to tally up why we're alone. You know, if, if a marriage broke up, it, 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 he just said, look, regardless of what's happened in the past, I've got a great future for you. Let's, let's move on. Let's move ahead. You know, let's learn from the past, but let's just not let it define us and own us. So Amen. God loves you. <laughs> yeah. So good, Tim. I so appreciate always just the encouragement you bring into every conversation and the wisdom that you've got. For oh, listeners yeah. who want to know more about grace-based parenting, and it's not called Family Matters anymore, but grace-based families, <laughs> talk yeah. about how they can connect with you all. Yeah, just grace-based, uh, gracebasedfamilies.com. And if they go there or, 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 uh, you know, we were, we were called familymatters.net for a long time. That's all, they all connect there. And there's all kinds of resources that show you how to bring the best out of the people you love most through the power of God's grace. So gracebasedfamilies.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for being with me today, Tim. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. I have found that understanding the intersection of grace and truth has not only been very transformational in my parenting, but also in my relationships in general, and allows me to confidently move into those spaces that there might be a little bit of difficulty and to approach those situations with both the heart of grace while gently applying truth. I have found that's given me a lot of freedom in my relationships and that I'm able to extend that freedom into my parenting with my kids. As we wrap up today's episode, I do want to point out a couple of resources available in the show notes. The first is our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Going through the issues and things that we're dealing with as single moms in community is so valuable. And so if you'd like to join the Facebook group, all you have to do is search for Agape Moms on Facebook at Agape Moms, and then click on the groups tab there and submit a request to join the group. Likewise, if you would like to follow along with Agape Moms on Instagram, you can search for us at Agape Moms. Additionally, I now have a weekly video guided scripture meditation available for every episode of the podcast. And if you subscribe to the Agape Moms YouTube channel, you will receive notifications when those videos become available. And it's just a great way to start off your day with some encouragement from God's word and apply some of the things that we're learning here on the podcast. I also want to thank you for your subscriptions, your rankings, your reviews. It's so encouraging to me to see what God is doing in your life and to see Him on the move, but it also helps other women to be drawn in to just what God has for them here as well. And as you move through the rest of your day or your evening, I just pray that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.